Hey everybody, it is a special edition, actually mini-series of the Running Rogue podcast that we're going to be starting today with four episodes that I'm going to be releasing midweek over the next four weeks. So it'll be in addition to the standard Sunday episodes that you're getting from me. And for this special mini-series, we've got two former guests from the show, Dr. Noah Moose I call him the witch doctor. He was on episode <laughs> 78. He's my chiropractor. and But calling him a chiropractor would be a very narrow definition of what he does. But he's back on the show. Welcome, Noah. Thanks, Chris. We've also got Jason Brooks on the show, who is the trail guru here at Rogue Running, also runs our virtual one-to-one training business here at Rogue. He's been on episode 94 and 105. Welcome, Jason, to the show. Thank you, Chris. We're... We're starting basically an experimental set of four episodes that will eventually potentially become a spinoff podcast from these two. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. The, the overarching theme is human performance and how do we int- improve human performance broadly. And so we're going to be touching on topics that extend well beyond just running training and coaching to life and things that I think will be applicable not only for runners, but also just for people that are trying to be healthy and happy and so in this mini series we're going to we're going to cover things like stress and nutrition and how do you adapt your lifestyle to manage those two things better especially dependent on your makeup as a person based based on how you respond to nutrition what your genetics might look like and so we're going to get into this concept in the last episode on adaptive coaching and the, the idea of adapting your own routine based on what works for you to feel better but also train better and so these two guys are are super nerds when it comes to this stuff which is kind of the genesis of this podcast i'm going to ask you jason to give a little bit of an origin story on how we got to this point because this all really started naturally for us on a trail run between you guys yeah so uh, Noah and his wife Natalie run something called the Human Nutrition Project, and they wanted to do. They kind of want to get out in the community around Central Texas, meet more athletes, introduce their products, and so they reached out to my wife Mallory to uh, see about coming out to some of our races with Spectrum Trail Racing and, and demo their products and you know meet athletes in the community. And so they got together, and my wife came back, Mallory, and she said, "Hey." You got to meet these people. They're awesome. Noah wants to get into trail running. You should go out and do some trail running with him. And I kind of thought, you know, all right, well, that sounds cool. I'm always looking for people to run with, but I'm also really guarded about my kind of (laughs) sacred trail running time and space. And so uh, Noah and Natalie came out with the Human Nutrition Project to a couple of races, and we got to talk a little bit. And, uh, you know, hearing them talk about their products and how much they've thought about the composition of just an electrolyte drink, I was like, holy shit, this is next level. So I was like, okay, this could work out. So Noah and I, we started doing some trail running every Friday morning uh, on the local Greenbelt here. And and I thought, well, this, while I'm out here running with this functional medicine doctor, I'm going to just pick his brain, right? Because I don't know what else we're going to talk about, but it's going <laughs> to be sweet, right? And so I have this just whole list of sort of questions swirling around my mind as I move into the profession of coaching and race directing. And, and so we started having a lot of conversations. And one day we were kind of joking around 
that would be cool to podcast our runs. And I thought, well, that, I mean, that would be kind of weird uh, <laughs> logistically. And I don't know how that would come out. But one thing led to another. And here we are trying to turn that, that uh, fun idea into a, a true manifestation. Musing from trail runs, basically. Correct, yeah. And Some, I think you guys, knowing you both, are uniquely compatible in terms of being super nerds on these sort of interesting esoteric topics on human performance. So that's cool. It is. Yeah. yeah. So Noah, for your part, were you afraid of this scary Jason dude with tattoos? who's a badass trail runner. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, I, you definitely take a look at him at first and you're like, man, I'm like, he, he's kind of an intimidating guy. And I'm like, I'm like, man, I hope I can keep up. Like, I hope like, that he like thinks what like we, we, if we have discussions that what I have to say is interesting and, and all that so it was it was kind of like one of those yeah like feel it out and by halfway through the first run it was just like everything was like flowing so well that like you know I, we just have had like these awesome chances to just discuss all kinds of different things related to health and performance and all of that and and so yeah I was a, I was a little intimidated at first I thought he'd like leave me out there to get eaten by a mountain lion or something like that but uh ended up being like a great thing that we could uh parlay into some like awesome conversation and just a chance to kind of really explore deeper a lot about like training and health and all of that kind of stuff so so give us a little bit more background on you I know we did this in episode 78 Obviously, I just mentioned you're a chiropractor by traditional training, but as Jason said, you're really more of a functional medicine practitioner that also brings in a lot of Eastern medicine approaches. So give us a little bit more just on what you do with Health Plus and your practice here. And so we kind of take a holistic approach looking at the body. So why like the like structure and all of that is like super important. If you don't have like the raw materials and the fuel and things like that to, to allow your body to heal, that's oftentimes why people are struggling to heal from, from certain injuries is, you know, maybe their biochemistry isn't right. They have something that's creating inflammation in their body. Um, and then there's a whole like just different way of looking at the body from like a neurological standpoint. And then when you incorporate like acupuncture and Chinese medicine theory, like the, the meridian system and all of that is is kind of a, a system that allows us to, to weave in a lot of what we're taught in the Western world, but how it kind of can parlay into like the, you know, like how organs and, and energy from like certain uh, energy from certain organs and things like that can affect muscles, can affect, you know, the overall body. So that's one of the things that, that I look at is, is kind of how everything kind of works together, you know, instead of just like, oh, I've got like a hip issue, like, okay, what are the muscles related to that? How do those muscles relate to like the meridians and the body organ systems? And is there something that, you know, we can do to kind of bring all of this together? So kind of looking at it more of like a holistic way of, of, of looking at, at injuries from everything from basically like, you know, like structure to some of the biochemistry, to the neurology, to the brain, and kind of trying to bring all those things together. Yeah. Speaking of the hip, I recently had an experience with you. This was back in December before my race at CIM, or I guess it would have been late November. And I remember walking in just for a final tune-up before the race, and you were talking to me about how a lot of people were bringing a lot of stress and nerves and anxiety into the office that week as they were getting their final tune-ups before the big race. And so you were talking about some emotional connection kind of process that you do to try to figure out the connection between emotion and, and physical pain. And so you're like, Oh, I have I never done that on you. And like, you know, you haven't. So you, you're like started doing something and my hip had been a little bit tight. 
So basically, you did this thing <laughs> that basically connected my hip pain to the burdens I was carrying of the athletes that I was coaching and their expectations for race week. And, and it was really, really mind-blowing, sort of fascinating stuff that showed me that, holy shit, like this stuff is all connected. How you feel, the stress you carry, the emotions you're, you're dealing with can manifest physically. And I don't think we really realize that, especially in a Western medicine concept world. Yeah, so in in kind of the the Eastern medicine theory, each one of the meridians has a certain like set of emotions related to it, and then and also each one of the meridians has a muscle association with it too. So like the the hip, for example, the psoas and the iliacus are related to the kidney meridian in, in Chinese medicine, and that that the or, or the emotion that's related to the the kidney is actually fear and anxiety, and so you're taking on a lot of like this like fear and anxiety and obviously you had your performance goals as well for that race and so there's a little bit of like stress leading up to that and so oftentimes these neuromuscular patterns can actually come from the uh the stress created in our brain and one of the one of the groups that i study with they actually just finished up a uh a a research project at thomas jefferson um, university medical school where they actually were able to show they took cancer survivors and they basically had them write out their diagnosis story. And then they did an fMRI study of the brain. They read them their exact story back. And they saw what happened in the body related to that stress response. And one of the things that nobody had ever been able to show before, like in research, at least as far as like the group that was doing the research and, and kind of looking through the data was that that stress actually affects the cerebellum. And the cerebellum is the part of our brain that's actually related to movement and coordination. And so, you know, everybody kind of thinks generally that it, it, there, there's this whole kind of neurohormonal response from stress, and that's very well known. But with this study and just, you know, that wasn't looking at athletes, wasn't looking at, it was just looking at like the PTSD from the cancer survivors. And they actually showed that there, like a stress response does happen in that cerebellum. So it actually they can deal with like muscles, movement, those kind of things. So the stress that we experience on a daily life can manifest itself as like movement pattern disorders, muscle pain, those kind of things as well too, on top of just the typical like neural hormonal response that we're all very aware that stress can cause. Yeah, what was crazy for me when you did that was you, know, you you asked me about anxiety. Are you carrying anxiety this week? And naturally the thought was, well, maybe you're carrying your own race anxiety. And I'm like, no, I'm not really worried about my own race. But you're able to differentiate then through the through whatever procedure or process you're going through between my own personal anxiety and the anxiety I was carrying for athletes that I coach, which is just it was just mind blowing. I'm like, wow, this is insane. Yet again, Noah, <laughs> Noah shows me something that blows my mind. But it's just, it's fascinating. And I think is a good example of the types of things we're going to cover in this mini series is how the total body affects everything you do, not just the physical, but your emotional states, your stress levels, how you feed and fuel your body even in ways that you may not recognize. So that that's our that's our bit of intro here. We're going to do again a four-parter. This will be episode 1. We're going to start in this first episode by talking about stress. And to tee that up, one of the things interestingly that I got out of Christy Ashwanen's book Good to Go 
that we recently talked about in episode 110 on the podcast with Alex Hutchinson is that part of a recovery routine is is a set of activities and routines that allow you to basically de-stress. And so it might simply be that laying on a massage table, having somebody, you know, rub on you could just be the relaxing antidote you need to de-stress and bring those levels down because stress, and she had a lot of the science in her book, can affect performance ultimately as well as, of course, recovery. So let's tee up this stress episode, Jason. How are we going to talk about stress today? We're going to talk about total stress load. And uh, this is a concept that I've been relying on basically since I left corporate America two years ago and started coaching as a part-time profession here at Rogue. And for me, basically, I was suffering from extreme burnout um, in corporate America. And I got to a place where I was experiencing things that I hadn't experienced since my second tour in Iraq as a Marine. And I thought, I'm stressed the fuck out. and This is not right. And uh, so as I took some sabbatical after retiring from corporate America and, and started getting into coaching, I, I started to develop this concept of total stress load in my mind. I didn't call it that necessarily at the time, but I eventually started coaching my athletes on this idea that you need to understand not only what kind of stress you're putting yourself under from training, but you need to all, understand all the elements of stress in your life, like um, you know, am I married? Do I have kids? Do I have a lot of debt? Am I trying to pay off like student loans and carry a mortgage and I've got car loans and then maybe I have sick parents or I have a child with a developmental challenge or I'm going through a divorce or what kind of stuff is going on? How stressful is my corporate job? What are the demands for that? And how do all my time demands compete with one another? And then also what kind of stress am I putting on myself from a nutritional standpoint? And uh, so I thought this is something that came up early on when Noah and I started running together. And I, so I thought, I'm going to run this total stress load idea by Noah. And uh, so I, I gave him the pitch that I give to my athletes about total stress. And, and I thought, you know, maybe this is a good idea. Maybe it's a terrible idea. I have no idea, but I'll just throw this up there and see how it goes. And so I think I hit a resonant chord because... Not only did Noah kind of think, oh, yeah, that's a cool idea. He was like, but let me tell you why it's a cool idea. And I'm going to explain all of this that's going on in your body and why this actually does matter. And so uh, and so like we'll get into other things related to this that I hadn't even thought about before, like health reserve and which is kind of like the history of stress you've put on yourself. And um, and so, yeah, total stress. What What is it? Why does it matter? How does it operate? So yeah, so I, I kind of look at it. I, I try to break it down um, from my perspective when we're when we're like looking at patients and um, as we kind of look at like physical stress, chemical stress, and emotional stress. And so we like to break it into those kind of categories to to be able to figure it out. So like you have your physical stress, which is like your training load. Like if you're an athlete, you know, like what you're putting your body through on a daily basis. Like those kind of things that you you're you're doing for either like exercise, wellness, those kind of things. And so. It, that could be anything from injuries to training. And, and so that's one of the things we look at. And then we look at like chemical stress and that's going to be your diet, nutrition. Um, do you have any infections like uh, 
food sensitivities, all these different things where you can get stress from from basically a chemical nature. Basically, food infections, toxicity are the three things that we like to really kind of hone in on to, to try to remove like total chemical stress load. And then emotional stress load, kind of you hit on it. It's like, could be anything to anybody. Like everybody's gonna react a little differently based on, you know, their situation. Some people can handle more emotional stress. Some people, you know, can't. Certain things that will trigger some people won't trigger other people. And so it's it's kind of trying to figure out, you know, this little like balance of of all those three things is your physical stress, chemical stress, and emotional stress are really the big, big three areas that you can look and then categorizing down in those areas, um, the different things that are in those areas and, and how to address those. One one other thing that's nuts to me about stress load is that as humans we seem to be very adaptable in that we it's easy for us to normalize our stress load. Yeah. To to suddenly feel like, oh, I'm okay. I'm managing this well, but not really realize the burden you're carrying. For me, that kind of concept really hit me in the face when I left my quote unquote real job, corporate job to yeah. pursue this career in the running world. And I took about a month of time to, to do some searching and seeking in that transition where I was mostly relaxing, sleeping a lot, recovery, recovering from this crazy kind of high stress, heavy hour corporate job that I was in. And during that time, I also was catching up on doctor's visits. Like, hey, I need to go to the eye doctor. I need to do an annual physical. I haven't done that in a while. And so one of the things I did was I went to the eye doctor and he took me through a normal, normal exam. Kate gave me my prescription at the end and I, I'm nearsighted, extremely nearsighted at the time. You know, for those that know these numbers, I was minus 3.75, which is pretty darn nearsighted. <laughs> and he gave me my prescription afterwards. And he's like, we'll be needing, you know, we'll need to change your prescription, which my assumption as I was aging was that I would only get worse from there. <laughs> he gave me my prescription and it was a full point better, minus 2.75 than it had been since the last time I had been examined. And so I said, that's crazy. This can't be right. You know, I'm a minus three, seven, five. Did you do something wrong? He's like, well, I don't know. Let me check again. So he went back quickly through the exam again, you know, did the, is this better, that better, the one or two kind of thing that you get done. Sure enough, minus 2.75. And so I'm like, that's crazy. I'm getting older since my last exam. Is it possible that my vision could have improved by a full point? And his question to me was simply, well, has your recent stress levels or screen time changed? And of course, it had massively changed. Yeah. And and so that was sort of the the physical manifestation of stress in my life was that it was actually literally making my vision worse. And so that's what's scary to me, but I didn't know it. And that's what's scary to me about this total stress load concept is how do you know when it's too much and when it's affecting you in ways that at the, at the time were imperceptible to me. Yeah, I think a lot of people that that's actually like that's a very common thing is I think a lot of people are are living their life in this, you know, we basically in our in our nervous system, we have two sides of our nervous system. We have like the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. So the sympathetic nervous system when I'm explaining it to like patients and I just basically say sympathetic stands for stress. Is you're just you're living in this nervous system that just helps your body adapt, like helps your body deal with stress. It's this fight or flight response. Like you're just always on the go. It's just you're there, there. You're you're basically pedal to the metal. 
it's basically the nervous system that's in like ingrained in our body to like from back in our hunter gatherer days when we saw like a tiger we could run away from it right it's what allows people to lift the uh the, the mom to lift the car off the baby you know like those kind of things it, it you can command great like great performances and great amounts of energy with it but it will eventually like break down the other side of the nervous system is the parasympathetic is is kind of our rest and digest nervous system or like feed and breed. And so a lot of people aren't really ever getting into this like parasympathetic side of their nervous system, which allows like deep sleep, deep recovery, those kind of things. And they're just they're relying on this this sympathetic nervous system to get themselves through the day. And they're they're continually like kind of feeding it with like stimulants and other like kind of like dopamine hits and stuff like like that to kind of keep the keep the body going so i think when we look at it so you're one of the first things i do with any patient like when i'm actually just having my first conversation you mentioned the eyes right yeah. so legitimately one of the first things i'm doing when i'm having this conversation with with a patient about their health history is i'm like i'm looking at their eyes and so the pupils are actually this great neurologic window that like it, it's it, it's a good indicator of their stress load if the pupils like if we're in a like we're in my office we're in a like a well-lit room and all that if their pupils are really huge then i know that their body is in this fight or flight response that they're 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 wide open because they're looking for that tiger from all areas and as you as you go more like parasympathetic you you have more control of that and they should be a little more like constricted and so when i see the the people that have this like huge like pupillary dilation i'm like Okay, like you're under stress, and those are usually the people that will tell you, "No, I'm good. I don't have that much stress." Like, <laughs> right. you're you're right. Everybody wants like it, it's it's not societally acceptable a lot of times to admit that we're under a lot of stress, and, and so and so people just kind of do. Yeah. Okay. So, th but but as you could imagine, if 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 stress can affect my vision to that extent, then obviously it's going to affect performance. If I'm an athlete, in ways that I'm not going to be able to perceive. So, Jason, talk us through how we're going to talk about stress today and how we're hopefully going to help people recognize their issues with stress and then manage it. Well, yeah. So, for sure, it's one of the key challenges here is that normalization of stress, which you often won't realize until you've gotten out of the stress. So, one of the big things that I, I try to get athletes just to recognize stress. So, where is stress coming from in my life? What could be those stressful points? Um, and so... You know, I ask questions about what kind of work do you do? How much do you work? How much do you travel? What is your family life like? How do you balance work and family? And I, I, I want athletes just to recognize that you can't overload all the elements of stress in your life all the time. And so what I work on is um, this concept of essentialism or focus. So it's not about balance, but it's rather... If I realize that I have a lot of stress coming from one area of my life at a time, then I can, go, I can kind of focus in that area. Sometimes I need to focus on family and work and not so much on training, but I, but I want to be able to set myself up to eventually focus on training. So in this context, we're talking about athletes. Athletes want to train. They want to go after big goals. So how can I set myself up year over year by looking at all the stress sources in my life and how they fluctuate and think about, okay... Um, for the next six months, I'm not really going to be able to train that much because I'm about to have a baby or uh, my dad is really sick with Alzheimer's and he's maybe going to pass away soon and I got to deal with that. Or I just got this huge project at work. I'm going to have to do a bunch of travel for this and there are going to be a lot of deliverables I'm on the hook for. And so 
So I work a lot with kind of focus, understand where these elements of stress are coming from in your life. And I think that what we really want to dig in more on is not only understanding that, but then taking that to action by really dialing in on what are the physiological responses I'm going through, how, do, how does my nutrition really affect stress for me. So I guess the first thing we might talk about is history. So we start, you start by talking to an athlete or a patient about stress. And understanding, you know, maybe a little bit about what's going on right now, but you also want to know about the history because stress load is not only about the stress you're currently under, but it's also about the stress you've been under in the past. So have you had a corporate job for a long time? Did you go hard in college? Were you the kid in the library all the time? Were you the kid at the frat parties all the time, right? Or maybe you had a military experience like me where uh, our motto was work hard, play harder. And there were a lot of nights of sleep with like two hours maybe and then you show up at work you know still drunk and you go hard for like 10 or 12 hours all day and then you run through that cycle and maybe sleep one day a week on sunday or something and so so also kind of under contextualizing your history and how much stress you put yourself under uh what you're currently under and then um we touched a little bit on on diet and that gets into the sort of chemical component of it all so do you have balanced macronutrients or getting sufficient micronutrients what other kind of nutritional deficiencies might you have like anemia or something to that effect um, and then thinking about training so a big thing in training that we'll talk about is recovery and what your balance what your recovery balance is and do you understand how different recovery modalities affect the nervous system and are you, so that you can work on balancing sort of your, your sympathetic and parasympathetic dominance of through recovery modalities balanced with the types of stress you're putting yourself under physically. And so, um, so I think, well, yeah. Let's I start will, with history. Yeah. Noah, it scares me that my historical stress could affect me today. Is that true? How does that work? Yeah, so I, I kind of always tell everybody, it's like, you know, when we're young, we have this like big well to like drink from and we go through like a number of things. And I remember uh, when I was I was I was working for uh, for another chiropractor when I was going through school and all of this. And we we had this conversation one day and he was like, you know, he's like, I really think that like the college experience is like a big key contributor to the like a lot of the chronic illness we see later in life because you know because he's like if we didn't have that he's like you look at how much like reserve capacity we like blow through it's like between like the stress of like school like you know trying to socialize and you're you're out then the typical response in college is like okay i'm gonna like stay up really late pull all-nighters study you know i'm gonna drink a ton of caffeine i'm gonna eat taco bell and then as soon as i'm done i'm gonna like hit the party right like i take my final and it's like we do this for like four or five years with no regard for like, cause we're young, we can get away with it, right? Like you can just do it. And I hear that all the time. Like even with athletes in training, they're like, well, like this was never an issue before. And, and so that's a very common thing I hear all the time. Well, why did it happen now? And so I always use the, you know, the, the really the analogy is that we do have like a health reserve or a health capacity. And the more like our history leads to this like fast paced, not refueling, not resting, not balancing, we can really dip into those reserves, which then, you know, later in life can actually make us a little more susceptible to like injury, illness, and a number of things. And so I think it's kind of for, for a lot of people is sitting down and saying, okay, like, you know, where am I at now? Like, how did I get here? 
and then like what do i need to like honor and respect from like my past that it's like okay maybe i did like you know like i you know if i had a military background and we were you know required to do a lot of things and and it was you know really stressful or i worked in corporate america and it was you know really demanding or really stressful or man like i'm i'm just kind of getting out of college and yeah I've, I've got a lot of like fatigue and tiredness like how hard did i go in college you know with like either like studying partying or a mix of like all of that and so I think that there is a component of this total load factor. And I think a lot of people should look at like health from from that standpoint is because I think we kind of look at it as all or nothing. We either like are healthy or we're unhealthy, but really it's it's a it's a total load thing. And I think that gives people a little more control over trying to restore their health is it's like little little steps that you take to improve your health and do things with your health actually contribute you know and and why you may not see it like right off the back you're just you know you're trying to fill up the cup that you you know you've drank out of or dumped on the floor you know depending on (laughs) (laughs) well but that but that so now everybody listening is is thinking back to their college days and is frightened (laughs) right yeah (laughs) for for me i was i was not the partier but i would probably i i took some tough classes i pulled there was one semester where i pulled three all-nighters a week doing problem sets and I was also the guy, I wouldn't be out at the party at 2 a.m., but I'd be playing on the the all-night lit sand volleyball court at 2 a.m. until 4 a.m. with my buddies. And then, we, you know, I'd go to sleep and maybe sleep till 10 and then get back up and go back to class and do, do it all over again. So I was getting stressed in a different way, but still, that's intense. And some people are thinking about the frat parties and the, <laughs> right. and the craziness there. But if I've done that already, what what can I do about it now? Yeah, so it's it, it's kind of just like like recognizing that there there was this time when you were you know I kind of use we kind of use the bank account like a little bit like in that area where it's like it's like your your health bank account is opposite of your uh, like actual bank account in college right like college gives like no money and like you know all that but your health bank account is like really big so you could keep like you know pulling out pulling out pulling out like you know deposits from that uh, from that bank account of your of your health. And so then we, you know, so what we need to do is we need to look at like things that we can do to redeposit into that area. So whether it be like, you know, like changing diet, looking at like different stress management techniques, uh, you know, looking at your, your total training life stress and, you know, maybe you need to take, you know, one, you know, and drop out a hard workout one time a week and do maybe an easy run and only do like two workouts a week, you know, something, something in those, those avenues to, to kind of balance that out so it's really kind of looking at your overall where you're at and uh and kind of assessing you know quote unquote the damage you know like in in those areas and so um just kind of trying to make make healthier choices along the way so you can start putting some more like deposits in could run run fewer races a year might be one thing i so i like to use a, a battery analogy where i say the human body is like a rechargeable battery and we can recharge it all the time, but ultimately that battery has so long that it's going to last. And the more load you put on the battery at any given time, the more you draw off of it. And so I, I think about this, and maybe I'm wrong, but in some ways, what's in the past is in the past. And there's not a whole lot we can do to make up for it. Like, I wish I could go back and live my five years in the record a little differently, but I can't. Um, and so I think about, well, maybe I'll just put less stress on myself now so that I can hold on for a little bit longer. And so no longer am I going to run like, 10 ultra marathons a year because I just continue to crush myself and grind my battery down faster but maybe I'll do like one or two and I'll kind of put all my eggs in that basket and I'll spend more time recovering so that 
I can enjoy this lifestyle longer down the road. And it, so is that fair? That's not the analogy necessarily, but like where we're getting with it, that yeah, it's kind it, of in the past. Yeah, I think it's it's in the, you know, so obviously there's like, it's what's done is done. You can't like undo it. So like stressing about like the fact that you like, you know, you may have had some of those experiences or stuff like that is not like, it's not going to make it any better. So you got to focus on kind of like the here and now, right? Like, like, like I said, if, if, you know, you're, you're maybe struggling a little bit, but, and you like, you're, you're doing all these races to try to like, you know, just kind of keep up and, and, and do that. You may say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to just try to do like one goal race. And, and one of the big things I think too, is, is with training and a lot of that is, is really prioritizing recovery. Because I think, you know, if you look at it, I've, we've worked with a lot of like elite athletes and, and really what the, what it boils down to. And, and when you get to the highest level, it's not about like, like who can do the hardest or most work. It's essentially just who can recover from the work. And so that actually becomes the biggest predictor of like training and performance and those kind of things is, is the body's ability to recover from the workout. And so, you know, working with athletes of like all ranges, it's, it's kind of, kind of figuring out like where you fall on that spectrum. If you're having a lot of injuries, if you're having, you know, like fatigue, tiredness, um, you know, you have a major health event going on or like you have a major life issue, you, you may need to prioritize your recovery a little more and like working with changes in intensity in your in your training to, to make sure that your body's actually recovering. So I think that's a big thing for it. I just interviewed Sasha Golish on the podcast. And one of the things that she talked about actually outside the interview and she's 37 trying to make the Olympic team in Tokyo for the marathon in Canada competing with a lot of younger athletes. And one of the things she said was, I can't outdo them in workouts, but I can out recover and out sleep them. (laughs) So (laughs) she was focused on that end of the spectrum, which is we don't really think of that in terms of adding to performance. We think of it as maybe brass tacks or something you have to do to try to then outdo somebody in a workout when really that was the, the the mechanism she was focused on in order to be not only her best self, but in order to beat those younger athletes that maybe have a little naturally a little higher bank account because they, yeah. they haven't lived as long. So let's talk for a second because I think this idea with history also ties into this concept of recognizing when your history might be contributing to how you're feeling now. You know, for me, as I walked out of that corporate job, my vision literally was changed. But what are some of the other things you see in patients that might have a history, even if it was a, a you know, a, a history well in their past? What might, what are the things you see that manifest physically in them that are cues that say, hey, you, you lived a little too hard before? Yeah. So one of the things I, I use this analogy in my office a lot when we first are kind of doing an evaluation, you can actually, you can tell it in the muscles. So I, I always tell people when they come in, basically there's three, when we're working with a muscle, there's three types of feel a muscle has. The first type is going to be like, you know, working on like a desk. It's like super hard, super rigid, super tight. And typically those people, their body is in this like sympathetic, dominant, like really like, like high, like stress, high, like, like high tension state. And they're usually depleted in nutrients. Their body isn't really like recovering well. And so it's really hard to work with. It's like, you know, we're in a big plywood uh, box right now. And it's like, it would be like kind of trying to do something like to, to mold this into what I want it to do. 
And then the second type of, of muscle like like feeling that we typically will see is it's kind of like Play-Doh, right? You can like roll it, mold it, and it, it holds its form and it doesn't really like break down. You can build the little like, you know, like dude out of out, out of Play-Doh and he'll stay on your on your shelf forever. And that that's the really what like healthy muscle should feel like. It'll feel like when it's relaxed, it should feel like Play-Doh. You should be able to mold it, get it to do what you want it to do. And, uh, and so that's kind of what healthy muscle is. The third type is when you kind of push in on it, like a muscle, it, it feels like you're working on a wet sponge. Um, and so that, those people are, are the ones that are really, really inflamed. They probably have some like chronic infection that hasn't been diagnosed. Um, there's a lot of burden on their immune system. And uh, there's a lot of burden on their immune system. And essentially, they're starting to use their muscles as sponge, like sponges for extra like lymphatic tissue and uh, like metabolic waste products from either like infection, like too much training. And like the, the typically the, the circulation is kind of broken down so they can't really get it out. And so those are the ones where I'm like, OK, we've got a we, we've got a road, you know, ahead of us to work through, like trying to identify all these different things that are going on with their tissues. And so that's, that's really one of the, the first assessments on, on when I look at a body, like how I know kind of where you're at. And then as you start to work with them, it really starts to all kind of move right to that like second type of muscle. You know, the third time, the, the third type of muscle, the like wet sponge, it can take a long time. Typically you'll see the person who's in that kind of like fight or flight depleted state. They'll, they'll respond fairly quickly with some of what we do because we're one of the cool things about the, the work that we do is we've used heart rate variability to, to kind of check it, but you can switch the body very quickly out of this kind of fight or flight response into a rest and digest kind of parasympathetic state. That's why a lot of people, they like leave our office and they're like, man, they're like, like, I don't know, like I almost feel like drunk because they're not used. They're just not used to feeling relaxed. So their body's so calm. And, and, and balance that they're just like, man, I, I don't really know what this feeling is. And I was like, that's how you should feel like 80% yeah. of the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you don't want to be out of that state. <laughs> yeah. It's just this kind of calm, relaxed, kind of chill state. So have you noticed things, Jason, in your own life in terms of, I mean, obviously serving in Iraq and the Marine Corps, pretty fucking intense. Yeah. So what, what in you have manifested physically because of some of that history? Uh, I got H. pylori on, I think it was my second deployment to Iraq. So H. pylori is a bacterial infection in the lining of the stomach. Uh, so basically, I was under so much stress as like a 23-year-old kid. I had a lot of responsibility. Um, I was like middle management in my unit. I had... Um, I was highly qualified for the work, and so I got all of the big projects um, and had a lot of responsibility just for ensuring that the work that was completed was safe for flight. And so it was relatively stressful for me at a young age, and I did not really recognize this. I had no concept of like a mind-gut connection at the time. And so looking back on it now, I realized, oh, that was pretty bad. I also um, had this strange back injury where when I would lay down to sleep at night, I'd have this strange muscle spasm, a pinch and nerve in my ribs, and I couldn't lay down. And it woke me up one night, and it never stopped after that. It happened every single day when I laid down. So I had to sleep sitting up in the corner of my bunk bed 
for 37 days before I was redeployed to the United States. And I was oh on gosh. like muscle relaxers, seeing an osteopath twice a week for manipulation and massage. And like it never got resolved. And, you know, looking back on it now, I think the day I got to Kuwait, I fell asleep on a fucking cot of all things. And I slept for 10 hours when you were leaving. When, when you I were was leaving. Home. So I was in Kuwait like. I had zero responsibility. The only thing I had to do that day was sleep, get up, like <laughs> go to the chow hall and feed my body, go to the restroom, and then like maybe go to the gym if I wanted to. And so suddenly I lost this physical manifestation of stress. It took me a long time to resolve the H. pylori stuff, um, mostly because the Navy is not well adept at like trying to identify problems in your microbiome. And so it took a uh, at a sort of obscure Navy corpsman of all people, not even a doctor, but more like a nurse to figure out, oh, well, let's do some bacterial testing on your stomach. And so um, that was like one experience with me in the military from a physical standpoint. So, so tell me, let's talk a little bit too about these like mental stressors and some history you might see with people on the, on the mental side of it. So maybe there's some kind of like trauma or something. How do you, are there way, do you look for that? Is there something you can identify? And then what do you do about it? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the definitely, I think in our society today, like one of the biggest stressors that we have is, is kind of the like, like mental, emotional stress. And so I think you look, and we all try to normalize like, these things that we deal with and, and and maybe we need like a little bit more like acceptance of like yeah you know i may be struggling with this i may be be dealing with that but so what happens in in the body and it, and it can be anything in anybody so it's like i always say like any kind of thing can cause can cause stress in people so it's not and i think some people try to categorize well like you know like my friend is going through a divorce and you know they've got like you know, they're like, there's a custody battle, like all these kind of things. And, you know, well, my, my job's just not stable. That's not as bad as like what they're going through. And, and so we all try to like compare what like our, our stresses, right? We try to rate like, oh man, yeah, that, that person, you know, they, they just like lost their spouse or that person, you know, their kids got, you know, some trouble with, you know, something or other. And so we all try to like rate what our perceived stress should be when the truth is, is like, if it's stressing us out, it's creating a response in our brain that actually filters down to the rest of our body. And so like stress is stress and it's like everybody's stress is unique. That's what I tell everybody. I'm like, I'm like, your stress is unique to you and it's creating a physiological response in your body. And so I think with a lot of people, then they give themselves the ability to say, okay, yeah, I am stressed. And then you got to kind of figure out like, you know, how severe like is this like, you know, is it, you know, just that we need to try to like work on balancing some stuff in their body, get them some nutrition and maybe their body will be able to handle it. Or like, you know, do they need to see like, you know, like a therapist or like psychiatrist or something? Do they need some like really big, like, you know, like support in that area? And I think like mental health and like emotional stress is for most people, like it is the core of what drives a lot of the stress in our body. Obviously, like diet and nutrition and things like that have a big effect on on the body. But really, like we are just bombarded with a lot of stresses. And I think we try to normalize them. And so I, I think kind of trying to find the right balance of those things, whether it be, you know, trying to improve your overall health so you can handle the stress better. And, you know, maybe it's just a season, right? 
but then making sure that you have somebody that you you know like a professional that you can like talk to and balance out you know kind of kind of work through some of the things with somebody who can can help guide you through like just processing the emotion and i think for us a lot of times people just bury it down and then those emotions are going to manifest themselves in some type of a physical issue if we're not processing them correctly i kind of look at them as like files right like it's like we got this file that pops up that says you know like it, it runs xyz program on it and if you don't like the pop-up that keeps popping up and the program <laughs> that keeps running on your computer you gotta you know you gotta install an antivirus or you gotta get a pop-up blocker so you can work through eliminating that whole like process from happening so and how do you know how do you know the source you know, as you said, some people may not even recognize what's causing them stress or what what we perceive as something that might be stressful for people. You know, obviously, if you have something trauma happen, that's obviously something we say, oh, that's going to cause stress. But for some people, it might be something simple. It could be a relationship in their world that is causing tension for whatever reason. It may not be obvious. So how do you know? So it, it, it is kind of hard to be able to to like identify. And so a lot of times one of the things we, we do some some work with the muscles in the office, um, some muscle testing, things like that. So oftentimes what I'll just ask the patient is like, you know, if they're they're, you know, kind of having a, a situation or I hear, you know, a lot of times like we, we call it unfinished business is a lot of patients will come in and they'll say the same thing over and over and over and over again. And, and a, so a lot of times they're on this like neurologic loop and they're, they're trying to sort it out, but they're completely oblivious to like what's going on. So what I try to look for in people, and I, I love that you actually talked about your eyes like today, cause this just gives me the window into like legitimately what I'm doing, like 90% yeah. of the time that nobody even knows. So I'll like, I'll, you know, be working on a patient, like doing, doing our thing. And like, you know, you maybe ask them like something like, how was your weekend? Or like, you know, what's going on with your kids? You know, just something in those area. And then all of a sudden you just see their pupils just like go crazy. <laughs> so I'm always like trying to watch like these physiologic reactions. And I'm like, okay, so something just happened here. Like, tell me, like, tell me what's going on. I want you to like, think about your kids and then we'll start like checking muscle strength. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, it's like a quad muscle that, you know, you should be able to like, you know, really resist and create a lot of tension with all of a sudden they're losing tension in that muscle while they're thinking about their kid, you know, cause it's just overloading this circuit from like the brain to the muscle. And it, it's just, it, it's the, like almost the thought of like whatever's going on with their kid is overwhelming their nervous system. And so we kind of always talk about like the muscles and the brain, they work a lot like a breaker box in a house. And so like, if, if there's too much like input or stress from a certain thing, whether it be like running, lifting, um, you know, something you're eating, then it can actually blow out that circuit. And so we, we go through and we'll, you know, we'll have them kind of think about that. And then we're like, okay, you know, can we do some like different, like, you know, reflex techniques, like, um, treat like a different muscle, maybe stimulate an acupuncture point to kind of balance out that neuromuscular connection. And then oftentimes I'll be like, you know what? I think this is something that like you need to like work on a little more from like the, the emotional standpoint and, and kind of process through because you're having a physiologic reaction to this whole thing. And so then we can, you know, you know, help them get where they need to, to go to try to figure out how to process through that. So if there's, you know, just maybe like strengthening up like your, your body to that response isn't, you know, enough or they need to talk about it more. And oftentimes when, I, when we bring it up, like I've had people just break down crying on the table, like 
like they'll start sweating uncontrollably and we're just like okay like this is a thing like you got to honor like that that this is really creating stress in your body and we need to find the best way for you to to handle this situation i mean we all need therapists right yeah i (laughs) i mean i think there's a stigma against going to therapy in our world because somehow that's a sign of weakness but yeah but the truth is we all need somebody who can help us process things. yeah whether it yeah. Ju- you know like definitely like on a professional sense getting with somebody that like you need but also just kind of you know having a like a friend network to like be able to like go and talk about things and like just open up and like you know be open with your friends about what you're like dealing with and struggling with and and stuff like that and then making sure that like yeah you're getting the proper help for it too so let's talk about diet for a second because we've mentioned that as a contributor of chemical stress essentially to the body what examples would come up there start with you jason so if you think about the the battery analogy i used earlier batteries are basically this complex chemical composition and so is our body and our we have our microbiome and our gut in our intestine and then and basically we have blood chemistry we have organic acids and these are all parts of our body that have some sort of balance or stasis point when we think about like if you want to get the body to a point of homeostasis then you need to balance everything that you're putting into it from a chemical standpoint and so if you're eating uh let's say you know i'm an athlete i've been running for a while i'm indoctrinated in this world of carb loading and thinking that i need a lot of like manufactured sugar supplements while i'm running in order to fuel myself eventually i'm likely to become insulin resistant and have significantly dysregulated blood sugar and so my body is sort of constantly riding this blood sugar roller coaster and it's losing its ability to both Uh, process sugar uh, or it's losing its insulin sensitivity and I'm becoming more insulin resistant at the same time I'm losing my ability to fuel on fat and so this is putting stress on my body because my body can't switch between fuel sources to fuel different energy systems but I'm also um, getting less of the nutrients that I need. So a high carbohydrate diet is going to be inherently uh, less nutrient dense because I'm eating a lot of probably processed foods um, like processed and refined carbohydrates that are basically stripped of all the nutrients that they have. And I'm just eating less of the foods that could be nutrient rich like meats and vegetables and that sort of thing. And so uh, I'm also starving my brain of glycogen. And so uh, you get into a lot of these problems where like my diet is I may even not even know it, but it's causing all sorts of hormonal disruption, dysregulation, and it's throwing my blood sugar out of whack and it's creating insulin resistance and that's affecting my neurological system. So my cognitive performance is down, suffering from brain fog, fatigue, having trouble sleeping. And so this is where if your diet gets off the rails, it's going to start to just sort of disrupt your life and put a lot of stress on and affect things like sleep and recovery and mood and cognitive performance. And then overall, that's going to affect your athletic performance. That's how I think about it. <laughs> that's, there's a lot there. <laughs> but but it's to me, the idea is similar to the late nights in college or the partying. It's It's what components of your diet 
are taxing your system and how often. And when you're you're eating processed foods or high sugar con- high sugar content, high fructose corn syrup added foods, every time you do that and put that in, it puts your body into a higher stress state. And so you're kind of throwing these little darts at it all the time. And that can manifest in other ways. And it can also manifest in ways, foods that you may be sensitive to or that might cause an inflammatory response. I know one thing you do in your your office, Noah, is test people for that. What foods are causing inflammation in your body? My wife had it done with you. She, unfortunately, is sensitive to chickpeas. So hummus is out, (laughs) out the window, unfortunately, for her, at least for this window. So talk about that side of it, too, it's, is that we're all unique in terms of what causes stress with us from a food standpoint. Yeah, so so I look at, like under like the whole, like, quote-unquote, chemical stress, I look at three things, basically, and this is typically the majority of what we're dealing with. Look at food, infections, and toxicity. And so, yeah, you talked about it. The big thing is you, you actually both hit on the two parts of food, right? The first thing I look at is is we, we like to create a, a diet out of foods that, are don't inflame somebody. So we have a test that we use called the food inflammation test. It's a super easy like finger stick test that we do in our office. And it gives you a test 132 different foods. And it will basically just tell you which foods create inflammation in your body. Now this is a different than like a food allergy test. So you have like food allergies are the things you know, they're a it's a different immunological response. And so so people often get them confused or they like kind of use them like one in the same, right? They'll say, oh, I got a food allergy test or I got this. Like a food allergy test is like you eat it and you're going to have like an anaphylactic response or a mild like histamine like reaction in your body. And histamine is very damaging too. So, you know, identifying some of those can be really important. But the ones that I've seen more from like a chronic standpoint that actually you know, that, that create a lot of havoc under the, the system are the ones that like they, they work in what's called the IG, IgG mediated response or delayed sensitivity inflammation. So you're not going to like, you know, you may go out and, you know, like, so you, like said the chickpeas, right? So you may have some hummus. Well, it's not like you're going to immediately know that you're having like this issue with that. But over the course of like, you know, eight to 72 hours, you may wake up a day or two later and you're like, man, I feel super tired, like my quads are heavy. And so it really is this like kind of mysterious reason why we're like having a lot of uh, like like chronic inflammation issues is because oftentimes people eat that they're eating these things. It's it's creating uh, an inflammation response in their body. And if you're training, the one thing that's like the enemy of recovery is inflammation. So that's kind of the first thing that we, we look at in that area is like, hey, let's just make sure that you're not eating anything that's inflaming you and so you know a lot of people like you know it's like the glutens the dairies you know those are a lot of the common ones but i always like this to tell this story um i had a patient that came in this was probably like four or five years ago and like she was like really fit really healthy like you know just was living a great wellness lifestyle and she came into me and she was having total body pain and i was like and I was like, man, I don't know. Like we we're going through all my typical like approaches to everything. And I was like, I don't know what's wrong with this lady. Like I'm, I, I was like baffled. I'm like, she's doing everything right. Like everything in my evaluation seems like pretty good. So I was like, you know, and it's kind of right when I started to do a lot more food sensitivity testing and it was kind of becoming more, you know, a little more prevalent and all that. So I was like, you know what? I was like, 
maybe it's something you're eating. Let's let's take a look. And uh, so we run the test on her, and she she's sensitive to two things. She's sensitive to Brussels sprouts and kale, right? Like the things oh that ev- the, the things that everybody wants to be sensitive to, so they don't have to eat Brussels sprouts and <laughs> kale, right? Like you know, it's like every like teenager's dream. So like I'm sensitive to Brussels sprout and kale. Don't serve me that stuff, yeah. right? And uh, and she goes. Oh, and I was like, so there's, I, I don't think this is your answer. And she's like, I have a kale smoothie every morning. And she's like, I have this Brussels sprout recipe that I make every Sunday that like my whole family loves. And we take them for lunch like every day. So legitimately she cuts them out. And in about like three weeks, like all her body, her total body pain's gone, like all together. And uh, it was like, that was like that aha moment where I was like, okay, even like quote unquote healthy food can be like uh can be a response so that's where i think it's just easier to test and and kind of identify that that way yeah my wife also sensitive to pea protein which was in these quote-unquote healthy smoothies that she thought she was having and then she was having reactions to it and she couldn't figure out why i thought i was having something that was good as a sort of vegan protein through pea protein and it was giving her issues so yeah it's kind of nuts but kale i don't think i'd be sad to be sensitive to that (laughs) (laughs) as you alluded to but those are the types of things, especially something like that. You think kale is good for you. Brussels sprouts are good for you. How could that possibly be causing me issues? But it can be. So that kind of a test, if somebody was wanting to do that, where could they get that done? So we on uh, the Human Nutrition Project, we actually have um, it direct to consumer um, on the, the Human Nutrition Project, um, our, our website, so they can order it off of there. Okay, cool. So if... If we're able to find in our diet these little things that are giving us issues, and we're going to have a whole episode on diet. We're going to talk a lot about diet, yeah. Then, But at the high level, is it is it really just about avoiding the stuff that causes inflammation or avoiding the stuff that sort of throws darts at, at, at your system, or is it bigger than that? So I think one of the, the, the really, uh, Jason kind of alluded to it. Um, you know, we talk about like, obviously the inflammation side of it, but bigger and what most people are actually dealing with is it, it's blood sugar dysregulation because a lot of people are going into this like, um, kind of like hypoglycemic stage and then they're rebounding into a like hyperglycemic stage and they're just kind of going up and down, up and down, up and down. And every time you go too low in blood sugar, your body secretes like cortisol and adrenaline to bring it back up. And then as you start to rebound on the other side and you go too high, your body starts to secrete insulin to bring it back down. So you get in this whole cycle, you know, where you're basically like activating stress hormone on one side, then activating insulin on the other. And then that eventually creates this basically hormonal mess in your in your body where you're you're not able to recover. So I think it is about like, like kind of figuring out for a lot of people, we call it kind of a carbohydrate tolerance. Like I'm not, you know, definitely, you know, carbohydrates get villainized a lot and they, there are some importance in them in like training and performance and stuff like that. So I don't ever want to like villainize, you know, say, you know, it's like, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, um, bad with the like the keto diet and and, and a lot of people it's a great intervention because a lot of people have like really high insulin levels and the keto diet can be like a reset but it's it's also not uh, a super like long-term sustainable like I, I I'm not super like 
um, 100% on it for like a long-term sustainable thing. I think it's kind of using it at like if you're going to do something keto, kind of using it as like a reset and then kind of finding your body's own like carbohydrate tolerance, but using like carbs from like real food, like, you know, berries and cherries and like different things like that. Making sh- yeah, making sure that you're like adequately fueled with the uh, the, the right kind of things. And so yeah, I, people forget that vegetables have carbohydrates. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, you know, when, when you take away the breads and those kind of things, then, yeah, people don't know where to get them. But, you know, there's a number of, of different ways to get them. And then we don't need them in the quantities that that people are currently eating them. And so I think for part of it, it is really trying to, you know, sometimes like pulling the carbs down, working on more of like you know, like fat and protein in the diet to stabilize some of those things are actually a little bit more important. So is it a nightmare that most endurance athletes, marathoners particularly, are fueling with gels every Saturday? You know, it's... Is that a nightmare? Go ahead, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if it's a nightmare. I've been thinking about this question a lot because that was my strategy for a long time and I had the perspective that, well, I, I have to eat this way because I'm doing this anaerobic work all the time and that requires carbohydrates i need that glycogen and what i i have figured out that for me i had gone down that path long enough that i was highly insulin resistant like i would drink a cup of coffee with three tablespoons of honey in it and i'd be like okay it's time to go back to bed and i'm wondering to myself why this is happening to me and i get it now um what i think what happens one of the things is that with experienced athletes, we mask a lot of the symptoms of the nutritional dysfunction because we're not suffering from the weight gain. And so when you go down this path of heavy carbohydrate fueling and and gels or whatever kind of manufactured endurance fuel you have and the sugar electrolyte drinks all the time, you get down that path of insulin resistant, you're closer to a disease state. And some of the things that happen are that what's common in like obese people and type two diabetics is as you become more insulin resistant, you eat more because you're primarily eating junk food effectively and your body just can't make as much use of it. But it also is super inflexible from a metabolic standpoint. So you can't feel fat. So you're gaining fat because you're overeating and your body can't do anything with what you're eating for the most part. And so it's kind of a bad state. And with athletes, we mask a lot of that symptomatic manifestation because we exercise a lot and that helps keep the weight down. Um, And so I think that we should all maybe take a step back and and look first at what Noah's saying, our carbohydrate uh, sensitivity. So you can kind of figure out what your oxidation rate is and how well you can tolerate carbohydrates and how well you can tolerate fat and try to find some middle ground that we call metabolic flexibility, which is something we'll get into a lot, but understanding like what would be the right composition of macronutrients for me to eat so that I can fuel different energy systems at different times when I need to. And at the same time, get the micronutrients that I need to stay healthy, uh, both from like a gut health perspective, but also from a mood, energy, blood sugar stabilization, and then insulin response standpoint. We'll cover a lot more nutrition on episode three in this little mini series. So we'll kind of leave that as the as the teaser yeah, and we'll drill into it much more here in a couple of weeks. Let's talk about physical stress. We've talked about emotional. We've talked about chemical. 
Let's talk about physical stress. That is the stress that comes from our training, especially for most people listening. We're athletes. And this is something we've talked a lot about, maybe not using the word stress, but we've talked a lot about on this podcast of people who don't take the opportunity to rest, who run too fast all the time, who are hammerheads, so to speak, that are just constantly cranking, thinking that if I just crank enough all the time, I'll get faster when really you're just building down all the time. So how do we want to tee up that part of the equation? Stress is stress. That that would be the main point to drive home here. So we do think about, you know, I go out for a run and I get this really great endorphin high and I think, oh man, I'm, I, it looks like I, I'm all stressed out. I'm going to go for a run and release some stress or, you know, insert ac- exercise activity. I'm going to go relieve some stress. Well, the thing is that when we run, we're putting stress on our bodies. We're doing that oftentimes intentionally because we want our body to adapt to the stress, but we can take it too far. And what happens is that we have the certain physiological point, um, which Dr. Phil Maffetone calls your maximum aerobic function, which physiologically is the point at which your body switches from fueling on fat and oxygen Um, and producing only water and CO2 as a waste product to fueling on glycogen. So you basically move into your predominantly anaerobic system. And when you make that switch, you activate the sympathetic nervous system, which then induces the flight or fright response. So you're producing cortisol and other stress hormones. And so basically exercise goes on the same side of the balance scale as any other stress in life. And so it's positive, but it can also have negative consequences of taken too far. And what happens is we end up uh, in what is called the black hole of exercise where you, you take it too hard all the time. So you're getting above your maximum aerobic function. You're activating the sympathetic nervous system, but you're not going all the way into that sort of intentional anaerobic training. Like you're not necessarily hitting your lactate threshold or working your VO2 max or trying to really target these energy systems for specific adaptations. You're just running too hard, but not hard enough. And so you're activating all of these stress responses without getting the benefits of actually getting into the hard training. And so that's um that's where we come to recovery so you so you want to balance recovery with the hardcore stress that you put on yourself from training and so that's why we kind of say if you like the hammerhead athlete is the one that just gets out and runs all the time and is constantly stressing themselves out and you can mask it through recovery and that sort of thing but eventually you kind of crack you overload that circuit breaker and it flips and then you end up with some kind of injury and um so or lingering fatigue right chronic Uh, fatigue i mean i was talking to or i did a video this week with a health coach out of dallas and the analogy i used there in talking about this concept was if i was trying to improve my bench press and i went out every day and just cranked on the bench press every single day I wouldn't get stronger, or at least I certainly wouldn't maximize or come close to maximize my potential at the bench press because I would never allow myself those muscles to rebuild after stressing them through the heavy weights. And that is a concept that people seem to understand, but they don't seem to understand that concept in the context of an aerobic activity. I, I, I think as a society, 
especially in an, in in an active world, even beyond runners, we're dealing with this this epidemic of this idea because a lot of our workout modalities are endorphin <laughs> driven. And so these crazy intense dance on your spin bike kind of classes or these high intensity <laughs> interval classes, these hit classes yeah. where people are just crushing themselves every day because it feels good. It gives them a, a short term endorphin rush plus allows them to post a cool picture on Facebook about the workout that they did. But is it really building them up? And I would contend that if you're doing that three or four or five times a week, it's not. So. Noah, while I just, you know, threw that bomb in the room, what would you say about physical stress? Yeah, so I I look at it like really the thing that I look at is is it's it's really about intensity. Like so there there's a lot of like you, you can like look at the different physiologic adaptations and, and those kind of things that, that happen in in training. And but what most people are doing is is I basically try to and I've had to actually change how I uh I, I kind of talk with athletes about it because I'm like, I used to tell them, I was like, you know, you need to slow down on your like easy days, right? Like it's like you're running too hard on your easy days and, and people, only thing people hear is slow. They're like, I'm going to get slow. Right, like, right? right. Like that's like, that's the, the whole kind of perceived thing with, 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 you know, recovery. So basically my kind of the way I've always looked at it is like, if you're not like if your day does not have a specific objective, objective, right? Like, okay, today I'm going to go do repeat miles because, you know, we're going to try to like really hone in that system or I'm going to do, you know, my, my long run this week is we're going to run some MGP, you know, we're going to drop down, we're going to do this progression run to like, you know, MGP minus, you know, minus, you know, 20 and we're going to kind of work this whole thing. If it's not a specific workout, like if there's not like a specific objective, you should be recovering. So I talk more about like, like just basically like you got like the performance side of your training and then the recovery side. And so I think one of the things that most, uh, at least in, I mean, being an endurance athlete and working with a large majority of endurance athletes is, is uh, endurance athletes have a tendency to be a little neurotic. And so they just, it has to just be a little bit like painful. You got to feel it a little bit. And so it's getting them to like identify that. So I've used, that's where I like, you know, like. I, I, I think heart rate training is good for the recovery because you can set it at an athlete and say, hey, I don't want you getting over this to make sure that we're facilitating like recovery. You're, you're flushing yeah. the muscles. You're, you're balancing that. You know, when you're out for a workout and you're trying to hit a marathon goal pace or you're trying to, you know, run, you know, sub four minutes in the mile, you've got to train specific to that event. But you've got to make sure that you're like recovered for it. And what I've realized is, is there's a lot of like, if you look at these different types of things, like there's all these like pace calculators. A, if you're going to run, I, you know, I'm, I'm a middle distance runner. So I always use the mile as a, as my example, you know, it's like, if you're going to run four minutes in the mile, you should be able to run your repeat 400s at like 57 with a minute rest, you know, like that kind of thing. And your easy days should be like 545. You know, and I'm like, no, you like your easy day should just be whatever your body needs to recover. Right. Like if you need to go run, I, I remember having an athlete that, you know, won a U.S. championship and the year before he won his U.S. championship, he started working with one of the guys that mentored me and they put him on a heart rate monitor on his easy days. And this guy ran like 355 in the mile, right? Like he was super fast. And, uh, and he said he was out running like eight and a half minute miles, right? Like, so, yep. you know, he was 
he was like slowing down like significantly on his easy days to actually be able to you know to to recover but it was he was so fried neurologically from like all the high intensity interval like that kind of stuff that his so he took a little while to just kind of like rest and recover and then they started to incorporate all the like the speed and development and those kind of things and he ended up you know winning winning a you know a US championship so it's it's just one of those things that that recovery is the most like that that's what we got back to is is recovering is the most important part of your training but there's this like we we are indoctrinated with like no pain no gain and so i think if athletes are control if they're purposely controlling their intensity i think that's where the magic happens and so it's getting the athlete to understand this kind of i kind of call it reco- like you know like high performance recovery training to where it's like if you don't have an objective like for your day you should just be chilling, like go run with like one of your friends. that's maybe a little slower than you and just have like a good conversation with them and just like enjoy the company, you know, like go out and, 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 and just enjoy, get on the trail. That's one of the nice things about the yes. trail it slows you down, <laughs> yeah. right? Like just get out there and, and do that kind of stuff. So I think it's the intensity, you know, we can, we can get into, you know, you talked about like getting on the spin bikes. Yeah. There's a lot of like metabolic, like things that can happen in that process that are, are really great. But most people, they're they're already super stressed, and so they're they're just kind of like keying up their nervous system even more. And so while they feel good for a while, they eventually crash, and it's not sustainable because their bodies, your brain is gonna win. Right. Like your your brain will win at all things. So we talk about like diet, we talk about training, we talk about that. It's your your brain is always gonna be like it's gonna get to a point to where it says, you know what, this is too stressful. I'm not gonna let you do it anymore. Yeah, so. yeah, it's called active rest. Yes. <laughs> I was talking about Sasha Golish earlier. I went with a ru- I went for a run with her last Friday and she was doing an easy run and as she showed up, she's like, We're going super easy today. I'm like, That's cool. I'm I'm good with easy on easy days and and I was like, You could set the pace, whatever you want to do and we ended up running it's close to eight miles, nine oh nine per mile pace. You can you can go look at it on Strava. Her marathon PR is 548 per mile. I mean, so we were three and a half minutes slower than her marathon goal pace on an easy day. And it was awesome. You had this train, train like an elite. Yeah, you had a similar conversation with Austin Brogan, right? Where he was yeah, running he something like two thing. and a half minutes slower per mile. He said the same thing. So, but I think this idea, we don't think of it as stress as another stressor in this total stress load equation. And so I do think the way you guys have reframed that will hopefully help people recognize that that's just another contributor to total stress load along with bad diet or emotional stress you might be dealing with for a family issue or whatever it may be. And if you continue to pile all those things on, it's going to affect your performance. So as we wrap up this episode, what are the takeaways you want people to walk away with We'll start with you, Jason, on stress. I call total stress load the unifying theory of the human performance project. So keep that in mind. We're going to come back to this pretty much every conversation that we have. In some way, we're going to talk about stress and what we're doing that's causing stress on our body. And we just have to understand it, recognize it, learn how stress manifests in our own selves. Um, sorry. Get to know your body, get to know your mind, get to know stress triggers and how you respond to those. And I think that is probably the core thing. Stress is stress. Don't forget. Be aware. 
And I think for me, I, I think that I like in our office, we have so many unique ways to like help manage and mitigate and balance stress in the body. I think for me, it's like I just want to get this information out to people because like really like stress is at the central portion of like all of the health issues that we're dealing with in one of those three areas. So like my goal, like with with this whole thing is is, you know, I just want to like just give information to people that they can use because it's like, there's only, you know, you may not be in Austin, you know, like you may not be able to work with us in the office, but I want to be able to just like give as much as I can to people to be able to like help them to really try to, you know, try to hit their goals. That's, that's always been like why I've been in the profession that I've want, like, you know, to, to help people like hit their health goals and help people help, help people hit their performance goals. And so we just want to like dump just a ton of information like to people so they can use it and, and kind of implement it in their lives and, and, and their training and that kind of stuff. So, so two takeaways for me, one is that stress in all of its forms can affect physical performance. And I think that's a link we don't always make. So hopefully people will walk away with that. And then the second is just to be more aware of those components and thinking about and reflecting on in your own life, what are the emotional, chemical, and physical things you're doing that are adding stress and maybe imperceptibly affecting how you perform as a human, whether that manifests in your actual workouts or your races, who knows, but being aware and starting to think through those things and then actively managing those stress sources to me is the first step. So as we quickly wrap this and tee up the next episode, Jason, episode two of this mini series, I already mentioned we're talking about diet and nutrition in episode three, and we're going to talk about sort of agile coaching and how to adapt in episode four. What are we talking about in episode two? Episode two will be the model of degeneration. So effectively, we're going to talk about, we've been talking about the spectrum sort of of health today. So we're going to talk about how we get from healthy to sick. And that can go everywhere from healthy to sort of sick to autoimmune deficiency to ultimately cancer if it comes down to it. And so um, that's going to be... I think actually a really helpful and interesting conversation. So don't think about it as like some morbid, ominous thing on the horizon. Uh, it's just going to help all of us understand how to start to pigeonhole ourselves somewhere on this, somewhere on this spectrum so that we can identify it and then start to do something about it. So there you go. Look out for that one next week. As I said, we'll be doing a little mini series, posting these midweek over the next four weeks. So keep coming back for a little more Jason and Dr. Moose. This is going to be fun, guys. Thanks for being on. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. This has been a special edition episode with Jason Brooks and Dr. Noah Moose. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Until next mini series episode, we'll talk to you soon.